You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. I think this is maybe my 80th, 79, 80, 81. I've never been really good with math podcast. And I may be more excited today than all the others in out of great respect for all the guests that have joined me for a couple reasons. One, I got family. That's always great to have family. I'm going to be talking about NDSU football, something that I've been passionate about since we moved to Fargo, I think when I was seven or eight. That's a, that's a long time ago. Talk about the impact of football in terms of building men of great character and how they impact communities where they where they live. Those guys that wanted to chance to play Sundays after their college career, we have two of those guys on. And then a coach that was involved in the program at NDSU and his previous guest, Coach Ross Joseph, who's just a great guy and an author, by the way, and president of Joseph and Associates. So I'm just tickled today to welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends, former coach Ross Jelsa, Chad Stark, Hall of Fame from 2002, went on to play on Sundays. Steve Nelson, recruited, uh, I think, out of Minnesota to play football at NDSU, and his dad was a legendary coach in Minnesota, drafted number 34 and was a legendary football player for the New England Patriots. Steve, Chad, and Ross, welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? And I'll start with you, Coach Jelseth, so we don't have people st- stepping on each other. How are you, Coach? Well, all is well, and I'm excited to be a part of this. Bison football has been a huge blessing in my life, and the relationships in longstanding and to be together with this group of people is an honor, let me tell you. Well, thank you, Coach. And Steve, how are you over in the east eastern part of the, the country today? I'm fine. And uh, I kind of echo what Ross said. I, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a long spring out here east. And I know weather out there has been kind of lousy, too. But things are going to open up now. It's getting better. So, um Again, it's really nice to talk about the Bison football and how much it means to all of us, and uh, it's very special. Uh, thanks so much, Steve. And Chad, how are you this morning? Awesome, Mike. I, I echo that feeling. It's I, it's a great day when you can talk about Bison Bison football, and I, I do truly appreciate it. You have the luxury of having two brother-in-laws that, that played football at NDSU, and you picked the better one to speak today, so thank you. <laughs> He says that with humility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Guys, I want to start with kind of a general question about football. When you, when you were young men, before you, before you got to Fargo, NDSU, and I'll start with you, Chad. When you were playing high school football, did you at any time think, you were going to end up in Fargo, North Dakota, playing football at all, much less for NDSU. You know, I didn't think of, you know, where, where I was going in a sport. In, in my day, and I'm sure for the rest of the guys, you played all the sports. You, you didn't specialize like they do nowadays. So, I mean, I, up to my junior year, I thought I was going to be a basketball player. and I was going to play <laughs> play basketball somewhere. So that it was not really a, a big concern until uh, my senior year. And and we I received a few accolades and and schools uh, were, were calling on me. And I went up, went to a bunch of different from Oregon State to Iowa State, Wyoming. And then all the NCC schools, or a lot of the NC schools, um, but it, it when when North Dakota State brought me up, and Ross and his team um, gave me the the pitch for for NDSU, it became a no brainer. Yeah. But before I get to Steve, Brookings, South Dakota kid, 
when you go home, do people still like you? I mean, because you you went north, you played football for NDSU and kind of have their number nowadays, and at least when it comes to national championships, do, do they welcome you with open arms? I It, it is a uh, little bit of contention when, when I go back there. But, you know, when, when they look at the three national championship rings on my hand, they don't really have much to say say past that. But it's been a great rivalry, and I've got family down there, and my, my nephew is married to the, the head coach's uh, daughter. So I have wow. to – I have a – I got to walk pretty pretty tight on the line there. And Steve, for you, kind of a different direction with the question, but the same outcome, if you will, in mind. You came from a sports family. Your, your father, Stan, was the Sid Sitchi of Minnesota, a legendary coach at Anoka. In fact, my cousin, we talked about him not too long ago. Um, big sporting family. Did you, did you think when you were playing football for, for your father, did you think that you were going to end up at NDSU in Fargo, North Dakota? No, I didn't. And I think uh, everyone's kind of journey is different. Um, but I was blessed to have my dad as my coach and he, um, he treated all the players like sons and, you know, he was, uh, it was, it gave me such a good foundation to play football. And um, when I, you know, I was recruited by the university of Minnesota and some other schools. And uh, I went to a small school called Augsburg college where my uncle coached. And uh, my cousin played and very, I was very close to my cousin and I wanted to play with him. And uh, as fate happens, uh, my uncle got fired after my freshman year and uh, North Dakota State recruited me uh, my senior in high school. And Ev Jelbertson, who was the defensive coordinator at the time, and Ron Earhart, the head coach, uh, you know, I, I gave him a call and they uh, – you know, they, they said, well, come up here, you know, and then uh, I had to sit out a year because at that time, transferring rules were, if you went up, you had to sit out a year. Uh, so that was kind of my journey to Fargo. Uh, it's interesting, though, I, I, I really fell in love with the area. And it's, I think um, it's amazing how South Dakota State let you out of there, Chad. That, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I loved Fargo. I loved, I didn't like, I don't, I'm not a big city kid. I'm not, you know, that's one of the reasons why when I got drafted by the Patriots, it was also a blessing because Foxborough was a kind of a, just a suburb and that's where the stadium was and everything else. So um, uh, it all worked out well for me. Mm. Before I get to you, Ross, here's that question. I better ask it now or I'll forget. And this is both for Steve and Chad and I'll let Chad answer it first. If I'm not mistaken, both of you, the head coach that recruited you, either the next year or maybe even the first year, announced that they were leaving uh, both at NDSU. So, Chad, am I right when it was Don Morton was really the head coach that recruited you, and then the next year he's gone, right? Uh, two years. Oh, two I had years. two years Morton, and then he went to, to uh, uh, was it Tulsa? Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. How how does that impact you in in, in your teammates when you get the news like that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's always a shock. And and we uh, yeah, you mean, just that's a next man up mentality, too. Um, You know, we were worried where that next man was coming from, though, if it was from the outside or the inside. And obviously with uh, with uh, Coach Salmonson coming in from the inside it made an easy transition. And, and it, it's funny, I ran into, uh, 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 Jonesy, um, who was, who became my Ross was my, my running back coach when I was there. And then, uh, Jonesy took over when Salmonson took over as running back coach. And we knew more about all the rules and all the, the offense more than Jonesy did. So he, he kind of learned from us. It was a joint, <laughs> joint job. We didn't get paid for it though, but uh, <laughs> it, it was a, it was a great transition. And I, 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 that, that Salmonson era, um, a lot of people grew up quick and, and learned what it took um, to be leaders uh, and servant leaders. 
because um, mm-hmm. it wasn't about you. It was about the program and Bison Sports and making sure that that it continued to succeed like it had in the past. So I'm, I'm proud of those teams. They did a great job. Thanks, Chad. Steve, am I somewhat correct that Earhart was the coach? Maybe you were at Augsburg, but he was actually the coach. Was he the guy that recruited you to NDSU? And then yes, okay. yes, Ross, he did. And then I then I came back, and uh, Coach Earhart uh, left after my junior year, went to New England, and uh, they promoted uh, Ev Gelbertson, who was the defense coordinator from within the staff. And uh, so the transition was pretty easy. I mean, it was the same systems, the same terminology. Um, and then as fate be have it, you know, I, and I think Coach Earhart had something to do with it. I, I ended up in New England and Ron was the running back coach up there for Coach Fairbanks. Mm. I suspect he did have something to do with that. <laughs> Ross, in terms of the, the glue, if you will, when the uh, head coach has a departure, you know, because they have, you know, a, a better opportunity or a bigger opportunity, what, what are some of the, you know, task that you have as an assistant coach to make sure that you don't kind of miss a step during that transitionary period? Well, I think uh, change is a constant. And with that being the case, I think every day as an assistant coach at the college level, the really good assistants, in my opinion, are preparing every day to become a head coach, not all, but a good share. And so the anticipation in the coaching profession is there's going to be movement. It's not a stagnant profession. And so movement and change and transitions are a part of the process. I remember the day when the newspapers were more popular and we as coaches would look, particularly in the November, December timeframe at the transactions column, because there'd be a paragraph or so a few words about the different coaches that have been fired or hired or transitioned, whatever the case might be. So it's a part of the process in managing change, I think is one of the keys as Chad alluded to when Don Morton left, who I worked for, for seven seasons, uh, the transition, when it's somebody from within, obviously the coaches that become a part of the new some of which might have been part of the old. That's part of the transition. And successful coaches have a plan. And they they plan for transition as well. They know what to do. They know how to get a team to come together, so to speak. And, and togetherness is a great thing. Uh, transition together is what makes programs successful. Mm. I'm, I'm curious about, about this, by the way, for Steve and Chad, I guess I might ask Ross the same question. Eventually, I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite or most memorable play? I think that's always fun to talk about that kind of thing. But but when it comes to the team sport of football, my sense is, and I played football, obviously not the level you guys did. Football, the team sport of football develops a different type of character, if you will, because here, here is a full contact sport. Sometimes uh, there's some violence because you're hitting hard. You're getting hit hard by big, and especially today, bigger, faster, I mean, tough guys. What, what is the lessons that you learned during football that you were able to apply after uh, after college and more specifically in your profession or careers after football. And I'm going to come back later and talk about Sundays, but what was it that you learned during your time at NDSU that were great takeaways that were great character builders for you? And and I'll go to you first, Steve. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, I think the biggest thing that I took away from football and, and, and try to incorporate in my life was preparation. I think, I think really, I truly, truly believe that, or at least for me, if I practice well during the week and I understood our game plan and the calls I had to make and all that stuff, I was going to play good on Sunday. 
unless I got hurt. That was, that was, I mean, that was, I had that confidence that I had prepared myself to play and, um, you know, I, I was ready to go. And I think as uh, the different things I've done since I played, um, I've tried to do that too. I try to, you know, be prepared and, and um, you know, not, you know, surprises will happen and you got to do, make adjustments and, and things you will never plan happen. But uh, once you have that foundation and, you know, you're, you know, relatively prepared, I think you can adjust quickly. Mm. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Chad? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo <laughs> comments uh, from Steve and, and the preparation piece um, really uh, um, is is part of uh, discipline because I think discipline uh, was taught by me much more in college than in high school, making sure to get into watch film, you know, get the study hall, uh, make sure your homework and all that stuff was was done was 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 a discipline that was entrenched in you from the beginning at NDSU and you know, it taught you patience. You know, I mean, you're not going to come in and, and start right away at NDSU. Um, not not many kids um, are able to do that. So uh, taught taught patience and then the the ability to be a team player and put your yourself um, not number one. And that's tough for a lot of a lot of those athletes that came to NDSU because they were the top athletes in the region, and now you're just part of of a team. And and the way that NDSU teaches you to be uh, a servant to each other, um, I think, is what differentiates us from from the rest. So that was present uh, during the first national championship run when you were there in the middle and late '80s. What you just described that servant leadership attitude was, was present uh, even back then. Well, I mean, there's hazing. (laughs) There was, there's still, you know, you're, you're a freshman, they're a senior, but it was, you know, in a loving way, if, if you will, I mean, they, they taught you the program and, and it's not a, you still have to earn it. It's not something that's freely given, um, but you learn, you learn from the seniors and they're, uh, you know, they, they give you the direction and, and there's a responsibility on your part to, uh, to give back, um, especially as you, as you grow older in, in the program and, and pass it on to the younger kids. I think that's, it, it's tough to explain. That's all part of being a, a bison pride, but it, it, it's something that's, inherent in the program and and it's easily said at other programs at other schools but they just don't have the track record that that we do consistently well now i'm going to go to an author i'm going to go to coach ross the author of winning words speaking life to influence others as a coach and and as a coach at ndsu where there wasn't indoor football (laughs) <laughs> and you, you, you had the opportunity to work with my brother-in-law and you were there shortly after Steve was there during outdoor games where some of us had to, if we wanted to move the snow from our, where we wanted to sit, we had to move it. Some of the people next to us had smelly, funny, funny smelling coffee. I think it's because they had something <laughs> in it to stay warm. So <laughs> Ross, as a, as a former coach, and in this case, NDSU, what did, what did you see in terms of almost a tangible, in terms of character building, as you now, from your years at NDSU, and look forward, you look at guys like Chad or my other brother, Marty or Steve, what is it that you see that's a common connector in terms of character building for these men? Well, I uh, I had the opportunity to coach 35 years, and 26 of those years I was a head coach. And foundationally for me, I feel like the game of football is a great preparation for the game of life. Because the same things that Steve and Chad have spoken to about what they learned that's the byproduct of participating in a game, but it comes much bigger than a game because it becomes life. And so when we talk about things like preparation and discipline, and we talk about adversity, we talk about teamwork and we talk about 
success. Well, success comes, but it only comes as a result of the preparation, the dealing with the adversity, the teamwork. And as Chad referenced, you know, you're a freshman or you're a senior. I remember we had a expression that Coach Morton came up with that we use consistently. And it was six words, the team, the team, the team. And it was basically a preaching mantra that it was the team that we were all rallying around. That's who we were. We weren't individuals. We played for the bison. We didn't play for ourselves, so to speak. So I think there's great carryover, Mike, in what bison football. And it's been it's it's such an honor to say I was a, had an opportunity to be a part of that for nine football seasons. And to see where the program has continued to escalate and elevate. I just like two weeks ago, I saw a picture of the new indoor practice facility. I'm anxious this summer to come back and I'll see Chad, see former players, but I'm also going to drive up to the campus, obviously, and see the new indoor. It's just continual growth. Well, it's happened because of the what I call a success pattern. A success pattern is not a once in a while. Success pattern is over time, the success keeps repeating itself. And it repeats itself because that evolution of character, the character is a common thread through the 60s and then the 70s, 80s, 90s. Here we are 20 years into the 21st century, still there. Hmm. By the way, that facility, uh, we'll, we'll be moving closer to it in not too distant future as we uproot from Bismarck and move to Fargo. But when you leave Bismarck now, which is you know, almost three hours west of Fargo, you get 10 minutes outside of Bismarck. You can actually see that new facility because that, that's a big bugger. <laughs> it's just huge. But before I forget and, and talk about the draft day for both Steve and Chad, something you just said about the team, the team, the team, those six words. Do you have any concern, Ross, with you know, the decision made last September, I think, of 2021 by the NCAA, where players can now go out and market themselves and get paid. And then in concert with the portal, which has a you know blessing and a curse, do, do you think those two tools, the portal and now the ability for individual players to go market themselves and, and earn income, do you think that has a challenge for coaches when it comes to the team, the team, the team? Certainly. Uh, ironically, Steve and I were talking about this just before we all went live today about the NIL program and, and about the, the portal. I have a bigger concern than just for coaches, and it's our, for our culture and society. I think we all would agree that athletics is a great teaching classroom for life and how to best live. And part of what's disappearing from our culture as a country is loyalty. And I think the transfer portal and the NIL program, I, I get it in terms of people want their share, but I think there's a time for everybody's share. And I think when a little thing doesn't go well and all of a sudden, well, I want to go somewhere else. You know, I, I have two sons, both of which are in their 30s now, but one of the things that I've tried to instill in them is that, you know, quitting and moving on and, and jumping into something else is not an option. You're in it, you stay in it. And I think that the portal particularly is removing that fabric of loyalty from program. I'm glad, real frankly, I'm not coaching now because you used to be able to depend on the majority of your team being with you four or five years. Now I watch college basketball coaching. And I'm like, they got teams in one of the schools in Washington here lost six kids after the season. And they played in the NIT tournament. Were they that horrible? I don't think so. But people have a tendency to think the grass is greener on the other side. The reality is the grass needs to be cut no matter where you're at. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that perspective. And I, I, I and if Chad and Steve, you want to weigh in, uh, you can do that. I, I, I get both sides of it, by the way. I understand where you have an opportunity to market yourself and earn some uh, income, 
because you're you're you have two full-time jobs essentially when you're in college football maybe other sports as well you're a student and then you have the full-time responsibilities and all the hours that it takes to to engage in that sport i you know i kind of get it i kind of get the portal but every time i stop and think about it and i don't mean i'm not judging anybody when i say this um that that idea of the next man up and I've got your back. Sometimes I wonder if that gets a little bit watered down when those types of conditions are now present. And before I move on, Chad and Steve, if you want to weigh in, uh, please do. If not, I'll just move on to another question. I'll, I'll give you my, my, my two cents on this. So one of my uh, good friends and former teammates, uh, Casey Bradley. So, you know, Gus, has been in the NFL, been a head coach, defensive coordinator, a linebacker coach. Um, he spoke at, at, at an event one day, and it and it struck me, and he hit it spot on. And he was talking to the group about um, athletes, and they prior to the draft they put them in four categories, and and the first category is a survivor. That's the guy that just goes into the weight room just to get by. He's just doing the minimum to to get to the next to the next level. He said the next category is the competitor. That's the guy that's got the talent but needs some external stimulus to get motivated. So, hey, you know, if you if you know when you're a kid, if your dad said I'll give you 10 bucks if you go, you know, work out. Th those are the type of things that drove that kid. He said then the third is the is the true competitor and that's the guy that had the internal get up and go where he'd wake up in the morning and go work out. And it was all about getting better every day. And he said, the last category is who we look for. That's that true competitor that I just talked about, but he is a dominant competitor and that he is a servant leader. He is trying to make himself the best, but he's also trying to make his teammate the best. That's the kind of guy that we're trying to draft. And I thought, holy crap, he just defined NDSU football. I mean, you get all of those kind of guys, but I, I look at the kind of players I played with, we all tried to make each other better. And I think that's the difference in that. And, you know, you can tell where a guy sits really with this portal and this NIL now, because um, the guys that are, are jumping into the portal are certainly not one of the dominant competitors, the ones that are trying to make their players better because they're looking to help themselves out. Um, so if, if you get a chance to listen to Gus do that speech, he does a phenomenal job. I just kind of summarized it, but I, I think it hit NDSU football totally right on the, mm -hmm. the numbers. Thanks for that, Jared. He's at Indianapolis now, right? Am I, am I correct? Yep. Yeah. Correct. Steve, did you want to add anything before I move to the next question? Uh, no, I, it was interesting. Uh, both was both the comments. Um, you know, I think um, I think today when you grow up, you grow up so much differently than when I grew up. You know, and I, I got a a good friend of mine is Mike Ruzioni, the the hockey player, and he played at a little high school Winthrop, and he I heard him speak one time. He said, "Well, I played ten football games in fall." I played 18 hockey games and I played 12 baseball, you know, games during the spring. Right now I have a daughter who's a hockey player and it drives me crazy with all the club teams, all this crap, all this crap. And, you know, and, and I don't think it helps them become a better athlete by just concentrating on one sport because you, you first of all, you're only competing against the same people all the time. And I think what really brings out the best of you is you compete against somebody who's, got different talents than, than you do. And you've got to, you know, you've got to make things happen to compete with them. So uh, I think the whole, the whole thing about all this extra club stuff and club that, and I, I don't think that is doing young athletes, uh, you know, a favor because I really, I really believe if you're going to, if you're a talented, talented basketball player, you know, if you run track and, and you play football, that's only going to make you a better basketball player. That's that's my opinion. Yeah. And about, about getting hurt, too. You know, well, I, we don't want to hurt. You know, you know, that's part of the game, too. And that's what you, uh, you know, comebacks. Every every practice, is, every, every practice you have, you make a little comeback because you're going to get knocked on your ass. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to do all these things. You got to. 
make a decision to come back or, or to, or to you know, surrender. So I think, you know, it's, 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 I mean, I think it makes you a bigger, better and a stronger person by, you know, doing more in different sports. Thanks, Steve. I'm going to get to the draft day question in a minute. I'll go to Steve first, but I want to add something based on something he just said about Michael Ruzioni. Three movies I watch to this day choke me up. Miracle on Ice, I, 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 I can't watch that movie often enough. That was just such a historic day. Rudy, it's just something about the movie Rudy that just gets me going every set every single time and feel the dreams all three movies all about sport just get sometimes almost teary-eyed i just love all three of them oh by the way now i need to add 12 mighty orphans if you guys haven't watched that movie you need to watch 12 mighty orphans because you'll learn something about how football changed as a result of orphan kids that played football in texas it is something special so draft day, which back when you guys got drafted, it's a little different today because it's just it's just a big, big, big deal for a variety of reasons. Steve, when you had finished your career at NDSU and hoping to play Sundays, what was draft day like for you? You know, uh, before day? Mike, I got one one comment on yeah. um, about Rudy. You mentioned Rudy. I played in a golf tournament with him one time, and it was interesting. Another guy in our foursome was asking Rudy all these questions about, hey, what was it like when, you know, all the crowd started chanting Rudy, Rudy? And he goes, well, they really didn't do that. You know, what, I said, what about when the coach, he said, what about when the coach did this? He goes, well, the coach really didn't do that either. You know, it was so, it's like, you know, this guy was being crushed right in front of my eyes. All these great things, you know, he was thinking about Rudy. Really didn't happen. So. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I, I get it, because when I was at, ND, at Notre Dame, my wife took, because I always wanted to go to a Notre Dame game, my wife took me, there he was. He was in the bookstore signing books. I, I got to get that book. I asked him a couple of questions. He did the same thing. I almost gave him the book back. But go, <laughs> go, go ahead, Steve. Uh, okay, now I forgot the question, Mike. Draft day. Oh, draft day. Uh, well, I, it was, you know, but it was much different back then when I was uh, a senior and there was three or four of my teammates that were also being um, looked at 17 rounds uh, one day. And uh, what happened, they, there'd be um, different combines, different, different uh, teams got together and uh, shared recruiting of different athletes. And so we had, they had a guy that come by and, and I think he'd probably go to any school that had potential players. And, um, you know, they weigh you, they, they, you know, and I, I got hurt my senior year. I, I just, I had a posterior dislocation in my left shoulder and uh, I really couldn't lift much any at, up until that time because it was in January also. And, um, you know, so I ran and, uh, then the Vikings brought me down prior to the draft and they said they were going to make me their first round draft choice. And I was very excited because obviously growing up right outside of Minneapolis and everything else, and they had a very good team. So they're drafting like number 30 and it came around uh, to announce who uh, they picked and they picked uh, Fred McNeil from UCLA, who's a linebacker. So I uh, thought, well, they probably told about a hundred guys they're going to be their first round draft choices. So I, I was kind of disappointed <laughs> with the for, for uh Picks later, uh, Coach Fairbanks called me and, uh, you know, told me the Patriots had chosen me. And um, it was a perfect fit for me because I was going to a team that was was transitioning from a 4-3 to a 3-4. I played inside linebacker at North Dakota State. Um, so I knew where to line up at least. And, uh, you know, they, they had a they didn't have a very good team. Plus the veterans were on strike. So it was just us rookies for like three or four weeks. And, um, you know, I got a chance to play a lot and, and I learned some very valuable lessons. And one was don't get off the field because the guy behind you is probably just as good as you are. And he's going to show the you know coaches that, and all of a sudden you're going to be looking for some dollars place to work or to play. So, uh, I was always pretty healthy and I, you know, I just stuck in there and, um, but it was, it was, it was very, it was, obviously it was a dream come true for me. And, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I'd had a very you know big disappointment, obviously when I got hurt with like two or three games left, but, 
it all worked out. It worked out great. And you know, like I said before, Coach uh, Earhart was there. He's running back coach. And, um, you know, he was a, he's a good guy to talk to. And, and um, so, yeah, I was, I, I was really blessed as far as going to the, the Patriots. No, I got to admit a couple things. First of all, if it wasn't for my good friend, Ross, you wouldn't be on the podcast today because I called up Ross and told him what I was thinking about doing. And I said, I'd really like to find Steve Nelson. So he was the one that got me your, your contact information. And here's why I'm such a Steve Nelson fan. I've been a lifelong Viking fan. So it means sometimes I know nothing about professional football. But when you got drafted, because I was such a big Bison fan, I'd go to so many Bison games. When you got drafted, I thought, I'm going to be a Patriots fan. And I had the great pleasure of watching the Patriots the whole time. I was still a Viking fan, but the whole time when Steve Nelson played for the Patriots, I was just in seventh heaven. And later we'll talk about the snowplow game too, because that was pretty memorable for me. Sure well, I hope you continue, Mike. So he got into the good stuff, you know, the <laughs> Super Bowls and the Brady and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a Brady fan. Chad. Me too. What, what was draft day like for you? So yeah, in '87 was was the draft day, and in leading up to it, that was you know it was quite. I I wasn't a well known you know guy out there, especially Division two kid. Um, so I, I, I played in the East West Shrine game and, and got recognized out there, you know, Pittsburgh brought me out. I mean, some of those things were just like, wow. Um, it, it's just amazing. Some of the things that did to, to make sure um, they weren't missing out on, on talent, but anyway, 80, 87 draft came and it was 12 rounds and it was all done in one day. So I had, I had done um, Tampa Bay had, had come and, um, they were they were the ones that had given me the most interest, and so um, around the sixth round is where they thought they would take me, and then they ended up taking a, a, a kid out of Colorado. I can't remember his name. So it, a lot of depression after that, um, and so I wasn't I I wasn't looked at again until the twelfth round in New York. Uh, Giants picked me up and there's Earhart, you know, so Earhart had something to do with both me and Steve, I think. Um, but they had taken Stacy Robinson um, two years prior um, to that as well. So they knew there was there was talent at NDSU. So it was uh, it was a great experience. Like, I, well, it, it's it was a long day because he uh, Parcells called me at 1230 in the morning. So I, you know, I was real excited about, about staying up that late. And, but it, you know, you get that adrenaline rush when you're talking to uh, uh, coach Parcells and, and realize that you're, you've got the opportunity uh, to make a team. So that's, and that's really all we want as a, as a uh, college player is get a shot. And I, and I got that. Yeah. You know, Chad, I, I played the, uh, Bill was my positional coach one year when Ron was the head coach of the Patriots. Um, I learned it was my my seventh or eighth year, and I learned more in that that year than I had the seven years, you know. And there's not, you know, you can make football as complicated as you want to, but it's pretty simple, really, you know. And but he he would he ran meetings so well, and and it was all about discipline and about being late, and you know, having a smile (laughs) on your face and listening and all this stuff, and. You know, to this day, I, I I talk to him, you know, every year because he was such an influence on me because he was just the greatest positional coach I had I had ever been around. Oh, God, he scared the hell out of me. I mean, he was he was the first thing he'd say, you know, to us rooks was it's a hundred dollars per second if you're late for a meeting. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a hundred dollars per pound if you're overweight a day. You know, so I'm, you know, I have got no money. I'm like, I'm a half hour early to every meeting. I'm, I'm five pounds underweight. Every <laughs> there was no way I was going to pay him any money. Yeah, he would he'd do the old lock that he does shut the door when it was like, you know, we had a 10 o'clock meeting and it was 9.58. He'd shut the door and lock the door and uh, you know, guys were were coming in, like you know, knocking on the door and looking through the window, and he was like, you know, hey, forget it, you're late. And he goes, we're not late, coach. He goes, and it's according to me, you're late, so you're late. 
<laughs> I still have nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> Ross is is a, a guy that was a coach and leader for men for a lot of years in football. You must have had times where, you know, student athletes had a great interest in playing Sundays and draft day would come along. What are some of the memories you have of visiting with players prior to draft day with regards to their future playing on Sundays after college? Well, I think, uh, you know, I can personalize it. When I was at North Dakota State, uh, Steve and I talked about this too. My primary recruiting area was Minneapolis-St. Paul, which was the closest population base to Fargo in terms of large population. And so in recruiting the Twin Cities and the suburban area, the talent pool there was significant. And I knew we were in the hunt for some really good talent because we were looking at kids that University of Minnesota, University of Wisconsin, and schools like that were paying attention to as well. But I remember uh, Chad mentioned Stacy Robinson. I had the pleasure of meeting Stacy Robinson when he was a sophomore in high school. And I, I spent a lot of time at St. Paul Central. The NCAA doesn't know how much time I spent there, but I, I was there a lot because that kid, his high school coach told me, Floyd Smaller, and never will forget, he said, Ross, this kid walking down the hall right there is going to be a great player someday. Anyway, fast forward. He comes to NDSU after initially going to Fairview A&M to run track and watching him on the practice field. It was like, you know what? This guy's something special. So I had the opportunity to walk alongside of Stacy, not just in the recruiting process, but I was also his position coach. And every year, every game, you could see that potential to completely continue to display itself, so to speak. And then at North Dakota State, the thing that's so fun is there's not just Stacy Robinson on the field. There's a bunch of guys that are playing at a high level. And a lot of what we talked about transition earlier in the podcast, you know, the, the transition from college football to the NFL is not at all easy, obviously, but the same characteristics that makes people stand out at North Dakota state helps those same people stand out at the next level. You know, the physical abilities are relative, I think in a lot of regard, but it's the mental, it's the character, it's those things that Gus Bradley spoke to that Chad recited to us, you know, great competitors compete in every arena. And I just knew when Stacy Robinson had the opportunity, he was going to shine in the NFL. I just got done reading like two weeks ago an article about his career and playing for the Giants in the Super Bowl. And in North Dakota State, we were we were fortunate because we had a bunch of guys that were in that 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 state of mind of being the utmost competitors that you're trying to not only make yourself better, but make other guys better. So it was the NFL kind of became as a coach. It was like the best are going to have the opportunity for the next level, too. We were blessed to have that level of, of uh, commitment from our players, I think, at North Dakota State, and I think they still do. Let me ask you, all of you this question, and what you just described, Ross, kind of teed this up in my mind for me, and I'll start with you, Ross. I, I don't know what the percentages are, but I know, I know it's real small, 1% or less of any student athlete at the college level that actually gets a shot. Uh, playing in their sport when their college career is over. So for those folks listening to this podcast, that uh, their sport is really important to them. You might be in high school. You might be in junior high. You might be just starting your college career halfway through it. The odds of you playing after college are pretty remote. What should you really be focusing on during your time at whatever institution you're at, whether it's NDSU, Valley City, <laughs> University of Minnesota? What, what, Ross, what do you think you really should be focusing on 
that's going to be your greatest takeaway after your college career, whether you play Sundays or not? In my book, I use the expression, be where your feet are. I think it's a great statement about living the life that you have. You know, we spend so much time in the someday game. Well, someday I'm going to be there. Someday I'm going to be there. Someday only comes because you live today to be the best you can be where you are. You got to you got to be excited about the slice of bread you have because you're never going to have the whole loaf. You're going to have a slice and you take care of your slice today. You be where your feet are. You be the very best where you are today. Tomorrow takes care of itself. Uh, so many people are one step in and one step out. They're not on solid grounds. That, that's what I would say. Be where your feet are. Be the best where you are mm. and let God take care of the rest. Mm. Great advice. Chad, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. When, when Ross said that, I think of the uh, the poem, The Train Station, where, you know, it is, it's it's not about the destination, it's about the ride. And, and I think at an NDSU, um, it, it teaches us that that it is all about the ride. And and really, we're going to become professional in something. Yes. And when we're there, and we're going to be, uh, you know, mine, I had a business degree. I realized my after my second year, I, uh, Rich Kozel gave me a job working construction and I've never been so sore in my life after <laughs> work a, a week in construction. And I realized at that point, I'm getting my damn degree. I might <laughs> be able to take this kind of work. God bless the people that can, but I knew I couldn't do it. So that, that really was, uh, was a defining moment for me to make sure that, that I got my degree and, and degree and, and I, it's paid off tenfold. I, I could, I could give a scholarship a year for the rest of my life and I'll never be able to repay what, what Indias you gave me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Steve, anything you want to add? Uh, well, I think it's pretty well covered, but I think one thing is when you have an opportunity be smart enough to take advantage of it. And, you know, everything back in 1974, when I was drafted, you know, again, all the things were lined up for me to succeed and to make the team. And, um, you know, I, I never took anything for granted. I never took my position for granted. I never took, you know, I always tried to push myself realizing this is going to be a short career. And the longer my career is playing football, is going to help my second career, you know? And uh, so I, I, I tried to use the, the same principles I did playing football as I did in all the things that I did after football, but it's, um, you know, sometimes people say you can't do it. That should just let your belly on fire to, to, to prove them wrong. And um, that's a good motivation as far as I'm concerned. And, and uh, you know, I think if you're, if you're going to shoot for something, no matter what it is, you know, shoot for the stars. If you miss, you land up in the moon or something. You know, it's mm. just it's one of those deals where go for it. But don't ever say, geez, I wish don't be sitting in a bar room, you know, watching a football game. Oh, geez, I, you know, I could be playing out there right now. You know, that's too late. Great advice from all three of you. I'm going to be asking you about your most memorable play. College or professional doesn't matter in a moment. But, but that, I want to add something with regards to some of the direct and some cases indirect impacts communities benefit from with regards to uh, sports, education, and it's at different levels depending on the size of the community and the size of the institution. This is from my over 35 years of direct involvement in economic development efforts, whether it's through Chamber of Commerce or uh, foundation work, economic development, or commerce with the state of North Dakota, here's something I have noticed with regards to direct impacts from student athletes, students in general as well. When they come to a place like a Fargo or a Grand Fork, wherever it is, and they get involved, and then they come back, or if they're local and they stay, they have such influence over the trajectory of that local economy, that local community, 
because of what they experienced during their years of education at the institution. And then if they played sports, their direct involvement in being part of a team and how that corresponds to teamwork in the community. There's something beautiful to, to observe from a distance if you weren't part of it. And I thank all you guys for being part of that because it makes a huge, huge difference. And so thank you. Okay, most memorable play. Ross, I'm going to actually start with you. From your coaching experiences, what, what was the most memorable play that you experienced as a coach during your time? Uh, 1981, uh, we played the Sioux in Fargo, night game in September. They were undefeated. I think we were one and two. And we'd had two previous six and four seasons, which was not, we weren't the most popular people in Fargo. Uh, and uh, end of the third quarter, we're down 10 to seven. And uh, never will forget this night game, Wendy and uh, Mike Daly and I are sitting up in the press box. And uh, I turned to Mike and I said, the um, sewage just, Failed on third down, had to punt the ball. I said, they should be taking a timeout, punt the ball with the wind. They didn't. So they end up punting against the wind. And it turns out they, it's a minus seven yard punt or so. <laughs> totally, totally changed momentum of the game. We end up winning the game 24 to 10, I believe. We didn't lose again until the national championship game. <laughs> that's, wow. a, that's a great memory. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I haven't forgotten it, obviously. <laughs> As a former punter, I can relate, by the way. <laughs> Dad? Well, my, mine's a no-brainer. Um, it comes from the, uh, from the uh, semifinal playoff game in USD. We, uh, I, I mean, there's really two plays in that. That was uh, USD drove down to the goal line um, and um, Paul Murray um, hit um, the quarterback Jones, uh, stripped him at the one yard line, and debates um, debates took the uh, recovered the fumble, kept him from scoring and taking I think a two score lead, and then later, um, we, which is well known in Bison history as as the block that led to the pitch. People always tend to you know people you know the media. I should say likes to call it the pitch, but we all know Bentram doesn't get to the outside without getting a few blocks from the lineman truly. <laughs> um, and, you know, he stumbles over some trash tackle and puts himself in an awkward position and, and pitches out of desperation, which Ross has told him and Morton told him a number of times, never pitch out of desperation. <laughs> he pitched out of desperation and Molstreet bailed him out. And I grabbed the pitch and ran down the sideline for the touch shuffle. Incredible. I mean, I say that obviously in jest. Ventrum uh, created an incredible play to uh, to uh, give uh, James a, a, a free run down the down the uh, sideline, and, and it turned the game around. And and obviously we won that and went on to beat uh, North Alabama in the in the national championship game. But but uh, a great memory and just. A, Talks to, you know, that patience piece where, you know, NDSU is always going to be in the game. It's just, you you just don't know when we're going to attack. Did you have a block in that, in that uh, particular play, Chad? Yes. I, I had to block, <laughs> I had to block the end and they, they kind of figured out, I, I, you know, what, how to successfully defend a lot of our plays. And, and that was certainly wasn't my finest block, but uh, was enough to get them outside the edge. So that uh, the linemen and and myself, we did our job, but nobody ever wants to talk about that piece. <laughs> but, but just so you know, a little while ago, I was talking now, to my neighbor, and I'm telling him I'm going to have Ross and Steve and Chad on on my podcast, and he asked me, well, "How do you know Chad?" I said, "Well, he's my brother-in-law." He said, "I'll never remember. I'll never forget the pitch. I remember the uh, uh, Bentram pitched him the ball. He ran in the end zone." I said, "No, no, no, no." Um, you have part of that credit. It was the block. 
by Chad Stark that led to the successful pitch from Ventram to Molster. He said, oh, no, no, it was Chad. I said, no, go watch the clip. <laughs> it sounds like 40 to 10 on the 25. It sounds like 46 keep. Was that the play? Um, it was, yes, I believe it was 46 yeah. keep. The end was coming up hard and it yeah. was tough to get, to get him hooked. And, uh, yeah. we got him hooked enough and then the linebacker tripped him up and, and he just made a, you know, he was completely parallel to the ground when he made the pitch. It's, it, that would have been one of those instant replay things that they would have brought back because it would have been close. But I, I think from all the views that we saw that it was, it was legit. I watched it. I was watching that game. Steve, how about you? Uh, well, Ventrum was the quarterback for my brother at Blaine. Yes. Yes. So he, Dave speaks uh, very highly of him. I think my biggest, uh, well, it was my biggest thrill because the first game I played, and we played the Miami Dolphins, who uh, at that time had, I think, six Hall of Famers on offense. They had Bob Greasy, Paul Warfield, Zonka, uh, Jim Langer, who's a South Dakota State boy, uh, Larry Little, and Kuchenberg. And I remember our defense coordinator coming in and talking, just kind of talking about personnel in our first meeting. And he had this piece of chalk on the board. And he goes, well, I'm going to put up the favorite plays of these guys. So he goes, you know, they had like a toss. And it was Mercury Morris. And he took the, the, the chalk and he started making lines all over the place. And I was sitting next to another uh, rookie linebacker, Sam Hunt, and we looked at each other and and we go, how are we going to tackle that? The guy's so quick, we don't want to tackle it. And he took his chalk and turned it sideways, and he goes, and here's Zonka. And he just, you know, all these little X's and O's, this big swipe of the chalk, and it just wiped all the X's and O's out. And it was like, this is, this is going to be an awful long game because, you know, we can't, we can't tackle them on the chalkboard, let alone on the football field. And, uh, but anyways, they used to, you know, it's much simpler back then, you know, they had you know, two tight ends often and they had two backs and, and uh, one wide receiver. So it, it was more of a run concentrated game. And, and again, we had really good information on them and, and they loved to run what we called P12. Uh, it was a trap though. And it was, it was Zonka. And Zonka had a very, you know, he never fumbled the ball. But in the second quarter, I I just read it, and I hit it as hard as I could, and I hit Zonka, and he fumbled. And I said, man, this is this is so cool because I didn't think I was going to be able to tackle him, let alone, you know, I, I stripped the ball from him. And, uh, I, you know, I think those little plays you, you, you make or you don't make kind of influence, you know, the way you play the the, the game and, 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 you know, next game and everything else. So that was a – it was kind of like I, I, I felt I belonged. I, I, I could play with these guys. Yeah. Well, great memories. That's great memories. Well, guys, I'm going to start wrapping up with this. First of all, thank you so much for taking time to join me. It's been such a treat. Literally, I could, I could ask probably 10, 12 more questions based on just things that you shared today. One of the things I'm really curious about um, with regards to the sport of football, it, it is a violent game because there's a lot of contact. And I, I follow um, this concussion discussion uh, fairly closely because I've had guests on that talk about CTE and, and concussions. If, if you have any knowledge with regards to these new Zenith helmets and how they're protecting the crown, you know, for, for players, do you have any input in, into a kind of a two-phase question? One, the improvement in gear and how that protects athletes. And two, this general discussion that some folks um, are pushing out there that football in terms of contact, probably shouldn't take place until you're about 14 because of the nature of the game. A any opinions with regards to gear and contact until you're 14 or older? I'll start with you, Ross. Well, I remember 
2012, 13, 4, 15, 16, 17, um, at the AFCA convention each year. And Grant Taft's, Grant Taft was the executive director of the American Football Coaches Association, good friend of mine. And at the convention, we spent quite a bit of few sessions talking about the whole safety of the game, protection of the game, keeping the game safe. As a result, I really think that has helped the game to become safer and to ramp up the whole safety protocols. It's changed how teams practice. It's changed the number of practices, the amount of contact, all those things. So I think we're on the better side of it now. Um, you know, cars move up and down I-5 in Washington every day. There's more bad collisions in cars than there are in football fields. Yet we keep driving. So I think it's important that we're conscious of the safety. And I think the game people, the game management people, the equipment managers um, have been mindful of protecting players as best they can. Uh, real frankly, I have less, way less concern about the safety of the game for a fifth grader than I do for a 21-year-old. Because a 21-year-old or a 29-year-old, the speed and the impact of the collision is that much greater. Mm. And the CTE studies don't reference what happens when you're a nine or 10 year old. It's what happens when you're 19 to 28. It's the repetition of the hitting, so to speak, that sometimes becomes the problem. That's my, that's my take on it. Good point. Chad or Chad, any input? Yeah, it, it certainly changed quite a bit from the time that we, that, that I played. Cause I remember back in 1984, Ross might remember this. We played the Sioux up in, at UND and it and it rained, sleeted, and snowed in the first All half. On the same day. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It it was miserable. And for some reason my helmet, my helmet froze up. So I get knocked out twice in the first half. And I remember Doc Chris, you know, all he does is give you a smelling salt. How many fingers? So <laughs> <laughs> You know the safety. The safety obviously has been upped quite a bit from that from that point. But that, to be honest, that's that's the biggest concern. And I'm, we've I've had discussions with other teammates and and my wife is just say, hey, that that's the CTE piece is what I'm scared about about memory and and any damage we've done because it certainly wasn't there wasn't any protocol to put you into back in that day. So, um, but I, I think like Ross said to echo him, I think we've, we've made it a point to make sure the game is safer. And uh, I, I'm not, I'm not as scared about the younger kids as, as the violent collisions that we have with, uh, with the older ones. Sure. Steve. Uh, well, I, I think one thing that when, if you want to have your, your son, or daughter play football, there's got to be good coaching. You know, they've got to be, they have to have these guys who know, you know, how to technique and they know how to, you know, a 12 or 13 year old, in my opinion, you know, that's, that's where you start learning to love the game or not love the game. And oftentimes it's a coach and oftentimes the coach doesn't know what he's doing, but he wants to be a football coach. So he's, he's running, you know, uh, Oklahoma drills with, 10 year olds and he's trying to see who can hit, you know, that's all that stupidity um, turns a lot of players off. So I, I think young coaches really, they need good coaches for young kids. Um, as far as the CTE, you know, it was, uh, I was, uh, I, I had a Clayton Wysoon who played linebacker next to me died uh, about 10 days ago in a car accident. In West Texas, he was an incredible uh, football player, incredible person, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think that uh, when I when that happened, I said, well, how many guys that I play with are still around? Well, I took our offensive, our offense when I was a rookie. The tight end, Bob Windsor, he's alive, and Shelby Jordan, right tackle's alive. Leon Gray, the left tackle's dead. John Hanna, left guard, is alive. The center, Bill and Caius, and guard, Sam Adams, they're both dead. Uh, Sam Cunningham, our fullback, was dead. Andy Johnson, running back, is dead. Mac Heron, our running back, is dead. Daryl Stingley, our wide receiver, is dead. And not all of them from CTE, but, you know, some, you know, had 
real memory issues and everything else. So that it's real. It's real. And um, uh, Chad, I'm not telling you anything that, you know, we probably, you know, is a 90% chance we, we, we have CTE. Now, how do you, how do you, you know, control it instead of controlling you? That's, that's what you got to look for. But uh, when I look at some of these, these, coaches on the sidelines yelling at their kids and you know it's just like you know you know give me a break it's, it's easy you know you're supposed to start trying to make them love the game and 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 you know have fun and and uh, you know i think it's critical that uh, equipment is good but equipment's never going to be the answer it's going to be you know proper technique um and luck you know that's a big deal with it well, guys, again, thank you so much. Here we have two former players, coach from NDSU, uh, a program that has generated 17 national titles, 37 conference titles. It looks like it has another great year in front of it. They've been saying that for a long time, frankly. And I couldn't have been more thrilled to have the three of you on with me today. I appreciate you so much. I think we got to find a way to do this again, because you guys are just great communicators, have great stories. And I, I learned a lot and I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll have information. I, I don't know that you want anybody contacting you, but you know, people will be able to follow this on their favorite podcast platform at MikeSemery.com. And guys, thank you so much. It was a treat. I'm a big fan of all three of you. Appreciate you. Checks in the mail. Yeah, thanks so much. It was an honor to be a part of it. Go Bison. Yeah, go Bison. Thanks, Mike. Good to see you all.